politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, Minutemen standing at the ready to fight for liberty here at CR Podcast. Daniel Horowitz back in the house for Wednesday impeachment day. Boy, have we been waiting for this day for a long time. I am actually in a good mood. I am happy because you know what? The surgery we finally needed is occurring. Folks, how do you feel when you were putting off a surgery for a long time, you knew it needed to be done, and the day has arrived? Well, you kind of feel this eerie sense of relief And certainly nervousness along with it. And I think that's where all of us are now. I want to retrace our steps a little bit. We'll talk about what's happening today later on with Congressman Andy Biggs, the chairman of the Freedom Caucus. One of the ones that stood at the forefront of fighting for election integrity from his home state. And challenging the results to try to get an election commission. But folks, we're going to retrace how we got here and why today is the surgery and why, in my own devilish way, and I'm dead serious, I actually hope Trump is removed. Not because I think he committed an impeachable offense or he did anything wrong that day, that his speech was anywhere near the direct level of violence that the left has caused and called for. Over the years, directly, numerous times. And we'll talk about that. But because I feel that will be the best way to most directly burn down the Republican Party, which if you guys haven't seen until now, if you haven't realized it, then you never will. We will never be able to be free and combat the left until we have a proper vehicle. And that proper vehicle cannot exist until this party is burned down. And either it's going to be a new party or it's going to be one election cycle where all these people are replaced in the primaries. I have an article out today with a list of targets of really who should be primaried, assuming DOJ doesn't make primary elections uh, some sort of seditious offense at this pace. But as always, today's show, as all the shows this month, are sponsored by Constitution Coach, your intellectual and physical ammo for defending liberty. February 7th, they're going to have three and five-day training sessions at Front Sight Nevada, shooting during the day, some Constitution pep talks at night. I will be there if you want to meet me and fellow patriots from this show, as well as patriots around the country. We're all scrambling to see how to communicate. Well, nowadays... There's no better way to communicate than in person, given what's going on. Let's have some fun. Let's relieve some stress. Let's learn how to defend ourselves better, to shoot better, better muscle memory. There's also some fun um, drills they have with shoot houses or things that you really can't do at any other range. And it is 90% off the typical front sight training, but you've got to do it through constitutioncoach.com. 
And I'm telling you folks, we're going to have a time of our life. It's just a couple of weeks away. Make sure you register now because they obviously have to do background checks and it takes a little bit of time. So don't wait till the last minute. Now, how did we get here? How did we get to this point? If you retrace our steps, let's start with now. The New York Times openly wrote in a column, a debate has broken out over whether the one sacrosanct constitutional protection of the First Amendment has become a threat to democracy. Okay? How did we get to this point? I've been warning you all last year, all last year, that every facet of the Bill of Rights was destroyed. Every right we have was terminated while government assumed every power imaginable over our lives, our body, our face. Now they're doing it in Congress. Members of Congress have to wear a mask even when they're talking. Otherwise, they'll get fined. Violates the Constitution, Article 1, Section 6, restraining members of Congress when they're doing official duty. We can't open a business. We can't send our kids to school. We can't have a good time. We can't go anywhere. We can't even breathe free air. But the one thing we had that Australia and some of these other countries didn't is freedom of speech. That at least we were able to complain about it. Not that we had a party that reflected our values to do anything about it. And now, they're openly coming for it. Notice the astroturfing, the Reichstag, the you, the overemphasizing, oh my gosh, there's right-wing terrorists everywhere. They have the military parading around in the Capitol. Overkill, overkill. When we advocating, advocated use of the military, it was because hundreds of cities collapsed. It wasn't a couple hours and they got it under control. It was day after day after day after day. Billions of dollars of private enterprise destroyed. There were federal and state buildings under siege. And they couldn't handle it. So we had no choice but to use the military, which was used really very, very limited capacity. The National Guard. And now they're just preemptively. There's nobody around. Oh, the right-wingers are planning attacks. They're planning attacks. One time. It's horrible. It shouldn't have been it happened. But after four years of peaceable, peaceful assembly, after peaceful assembly, and just the opposite, Trump supporters would get beaten and nothing would happen to those who were beating them. You know, my father told me he didn't even realize until a couple days ago that the White House was under siege and 60 Secret Service agents were injured. But you don't know about that. None of them went to jail. At least not, you know, none of them were really sentenced to prison. And now they're casting a wide, wide net. Notice what they're doing. On the one hand, they have big tech, which is in with government, directly squelching speech. Well, well, they're private, so it's not a violation of the First Amendment. Well, okay, then they have the government Say we were going to hunt people down. Well, Daniel, that's not First Amendment. That's people that did really bad stuff. Well, the two ends are merging. And that net is being cast wider. That's what they do. They start debating, well, maybe maybe we shouldn't have freedom of speech. 
Do you see where this is all headed? Very, very scary. How did we get here? We got here because of something that has nothing to do with Trump. And we're going to continue to be here long after Trump if we don't do anything about it. Which is why I want Trump to be removed. I want the distraction removed. Not that it's his fault. But I want finally for 90% of Republican voters to do what they've done. To do what needed to be done. For all these years, I've been saying, how do you have someone come home from work and find his wife in bed with another man every night and they don't do anything about it? And, and this has been the Republican Party. This has really been happening for three decades where we didn't have leadership representing us. But for a while, it was kind of incremental. So we didn't notice the lack of a of a speed bump because the Democrats weren't going that fast. But then they upped the ante and they upped it and upped it the last decade or two and the last couple of years and then culminating with COVID and Antifa and the BLM rioting and now the reaction to this juxtaposed to what they did last year which demonstrates that two-tier justice system, that persecution. And the Republican Party is going to impeach Trump. This needed to be done a long time ago, this surgery against the Republican Party. I want the Republican Party to get up there and tell their voters what they think about them. Because evidently, they're not getting the message or haven't gotten the message until now. And I feel that removing Trump is the only way that the voters will finally understand what I've known for so long. For so long, I talked to people and... They would all agree with us on the issues, but then they would continue voting for these dirtbag Republicans even while they voted for Trump at the top of the ticket. I'm like, don't you realize they're perfidious? And the problem is the betrayal, the double games of the GOP are so unbelievable that people really didn't believe them. It didn't make sense. Like, why would you be a Republican if you hate our values? It didn't make sense to people. But folks... This didn't start with Trump. I don't feel bad anymore because there's nothing to fight for. We've lost it all. We've lost it by a mile. My whole life, America has been a hedonistic dumpster fire, has been a dependency debt-ridden cesspool, a market-distorted, crony capitalist, venture socialist whorehole. It's gotten worse since I was a kid, much, much more worse. But we crossed that point of no return on cultural and fiscal issues a long time ago. We just never realized it. And we kept believing in this false messiah called the GOP. I want to play a clip for you from Reagan's farewell address, the final minutes of it. His final parting message when he probably had the onset of Alzheimer's declining, you know, certainly after that, the last message he had to us. And it's interesting, you could hear the tone in his voice. He was proud of his accomplishments as one man, 
But Reagan understood, as we do, that a president is one man, two terms are eight years. And he understood that we had to light the candle. I should actually say, it really wasn't his last message. He did speak at a GOP convention, but I should say a couple months prior to that, he spoke at H.W. Bush's convention, and he talked about the need to light the fire, to spread the fire that he lit. He didn't think he saved America. He was like, dude, I mean, I got you a first down, and now go make the plays. And instead, of course, H.W. Bush went backwards, and everything goes down from there. We never had anything. And even after eight years of Reagan, here's what Reagan warned about. Take a listen. An informed patriotism is what we want. And are we doing a good enough job teaching our children what America is and what she represents in the long history of the world? Those of us who are over 35 or so years of age grew up in a different America. We were taught very directly what it means to be an American. And we absorbed almost in the air a love of country and an appreciation of its institutions. If you didn't get these things from your family, you got them from the neighborhood, from the father down the street who fought in Korea, or the family who lost someone at Anzio. Or you could get a sense of patriotism from school. And if all else failed, you could get a sense of patriotism from the popular culture. The movies celebrated democratic values and implicitly reinforced the idea that America was special. TV was like that, too, through the mid-60s. But now we're about to enter the 90s, and some things have changed. Younger parents aren't sure that an unambivalent appreciation of America is the right thing to teach modern children. And as for those who create the popular culture, well-grounded patriotism is no longer the style. Our spirit is back, but we haven't re-institutionalized it. We've got to do a better job of getting across that America is freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. It's fragile. It needs production. So we've got to teach history based not on what's in fashion, but what's important. Why the pilgrims came here, who Jimmy Doolittle was, and what those 30 seconds over Tokyo meant. You know, four years ago, on the 40th anniversary of D-Day, I read a letter from a young woman writing to her late father, who had fought on Omaha Beach. Her name was Lisa Zanata Hen, and she said, We will always remember, we will never forget what the boys of Normandy did. Well, let's help her keep her word. If we forget what we did, we won't know who we are. I'm warning of an eradication of that, of the American memory that could result ultimately in an erosion of the American spirit. Let's start with some basics. More attention to American history and a greater emphasis on civic ritual. And let me offer lesson number one about America. All great change in America begins at the dinner table. So tomorrow night in the kitchen, I hope the talking begins. And children, if your parents haven't been teaching you what it means to be an American, let them know and nail them on it. That would be a very American thing to do. Notice what he said. Notice what he said, folks. Anyone over the age of 35. 
or younger than 35. Do you know those people today are seven are 74 years old? So basically, according to Reagan, anyone younger than 74 never really lived in America as it was. Already then, he recognized that it was the culture, the history. We weren't passing it on. You and I would die. We would beg God with all our might to go back to American values of 1989. Heck, I'd go back to the American values under Obama's presidency relative to now. But 1989, I mean, I was four years old. And even then, he understood the problems in the culture. And we were letting it go and we weren't rigorously fighting it. He's like, we got to double down. That was the pivotal moment. Had we had Reagan 2.0 a couple more times, we could have saved America. Instead, we had a living hell of the Rockefeller GOP. And we lost it. And we never really wanted to admit it to ourselves. The cultural rockup was too strong a long time ago. The media was too much of a problem a long time ago. The Republican perfidy was a problem way long ago. Even in the best moment where we kind of felt we got it back in 94, it never spread to the GOP Senate. It was the House. It wasn't even all of them. It didn't spread to the states. A lot of the GOP governors were a bunch of dogs. It didn't spread. That's why I'm at peace with this. I'm not fighting for America. America as we know it is lost and has been lost. In fact, what has occurred the last 10 months or so, and all the events, in many ways is a blessing in disguise. Because we're going to stop living that lie. And we're going to be forced to build something new in whatever capacity exists. I'll take an an asylum for us in a couple of states to live freely. I don't even need a country to be proud of. I mean, I'd love to have that. But right now we have a living hell. We're in grave danger. I'm scared of BLM and Antifa, but I'm even more scared of the government. You want to know what a party looks like? I marvel at the Democrats. And how far they're willing to go. They'll take the most extreme ideas. Float them for a day. And then within a day. All of them. 100% of them are on board. Do you understand the radical nature of saying. They, we're going to trash the constitution. And then use the constitution. Abuse it. The 25th amendment. Which everyone knows meant when he was. Physically mentally incapacitated. Not if you believe his views are dangerous. They understood any opposition. Would always believe the other side was dangerous. Impeachment based on giving a political speech where he said peaceful. He didn't incite anything. It's incontrovertible evidence that the people that were engaged in the violence were doing it before he gave his speech and the people walked over. They didn't even get there until later. You go ahead and you look at the Democrats. You look at... um. All these people and the things things that they've said over the years. Maxine Waters, who's voting for impeachment today. God is on our side. Be more confrontational. Get in their face. Pelosi, 
when you're in the arena, you have to be ready to take a punch and you have to be ready to throw a punch. John Tester said to Trump, you have to punch him in the face. John Quinn Castro is a congressman from Texas. He said that we'll fight him in the streets. This was during the BLM riots. Eric Holder said Michelle Obama was wrong. When they go low, we go high. No, no, no. When they go low, we kick them. Hillary Clinton, you can't be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for. Cory Booker, get up in the face of some of the Congress people. And they did indeed during 2017, if you remember that. What's his name? Um, Ted Lieu, a congressman from California. He said that people should, quote, take to the streets. Again and again and again. And yet these people will look us in the eye and say, Trump needs to be removed. Come on, you're not going to do it. They go and do it. They come, they see, they conquer. Imagine if for 30 years we had a political party that would have fought for us on election fraud, on judicial supremacism, on immigration, on crime, on spending, on dependency. These are bedrock values. Democrats are able to unite and succeed in pushing the most radical things imaginable. We couldn't get more than a handful of people scattered on an issue here and there. And then another thing people don't realize. This was always untenable. Because the Democrats couched everything they do in race. So they get to destroy us because of race. Everything, And notice, everything's like that too. There's white supremacists. So therefore we suspend democracy. Well, these people are black. So therefore they could riot. This two-tier justice system. Well, all the while projecting upon us the opposite. <clears throat> and I warned for years it was unsustainable. I've warned for years. You know that the Biden-Harris presidential transition team put out, quote, our priority will be black, Latino, Asian, and Native American-owned small businesses, women small-owned businesses, and finally having equal access to resources need to reopen and rebuild. How is that not a violation of the 14th Amendment? And mind you, when they say they're going to help black businesses, they don't mean like Larvita to just be open without being arrested. They mean welfare. You can't go on like this. And I've warned for so long that every time this phony conservative movement Oh, Daniel, we can't do anything. It's too too racial because the other side made it racial. And I said, if you can't stand for principle and they make everything Jim Crow, they persecute whites for years and years and years and intensifying and twist that ratchet harder and harder and then project it the other way as if the other way is true. And I said, if you don't deal with it in a principled, passionate, constitutional, legal way, eventually... 
You're going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you tell a bunch of people, you're dirtbags, you're white supremacists, you're white supremacists, you're white supremacists. You know what's going to happen? You're going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like they all say with parenting. You never belittle a kid and just like constantly say, you're no good, you're, you, you misbehave, your behavior is horrible, 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 you're bad, bad, bad. They'll live up to it. My father always had that wisdom. He told me when I was a kid, he was always against the Holocaust industry. Holocaust Inc., if you know what I mean. Like these organizations that, you know, you, know, you could educate people like any history and, and whatever, and then you could just shove it down people's throats. And in some of the European countries, they're making it, you know, the part of the curriculum. And my father always said, and, and this was a minority view among, among Jews, he said, look, you know, you do that, you're going to create a lot of resentment. You press too far, especially when you reach a generation that doesn't remember it and or wasn't complicit in it and didn't do anything wrong. You got to take yes for an answer. And you got to take that equality for an answer. We had a problem in this country for many years. It was rectified in the 50s and 60s, took a little bit more time. But at some point, Legally in the 60s, culturally, certainly by the 80s or 90s, it was fully in place. And we needed to take yes for an answer. But they didn't, and they pushed. No, black this, black this, this. And then it became all sorts of, you know, identity groups. Rather than saying, look, we've achieved equality. Let's just go down the middle, govern for the whole of the people. Nothing more, nothing less. You don't recognize any groups, no mandates. No extra subsidies. Don't treat people unequally. And they pushed and pushed and pushed. Everything that is done in society is a racial or identity inequity. And they project it as if it's the other way around. Where are people going to go eventually? I warned for years. I watched what happened in Europe where you had a communist left and a phony right for so long that greased the skids for the communist left. And basically all you had to respond to that were neo-Nazi type of organizations and people were left with nothing. I tried so hard. I didn't even vote for Trump. I voted for Cruz in the primary I didn't even vote for him in the first general election. I didn't vote because I had a policy dating back to Romney. Steve Dace also had this policy where I was never rhino. And my concern at the time, some of it was proven right. Some of it, Trump rose to the occasion and and, uh, overperformed. But I was scared of Javanka and everything, where he was coming from, from New York. And I was scared. I wasn't scared of MAGA. I was scared he would co-op MAGA and be another Mitt Romney. And in some ways, it did happen with jailbreak and some other policies. Other ways, he rose to the occasion. But, the, but you know, I'm not trying to rehash that. I'm just trying to tell you, I'm not this mind-numb robot. Oh, Daniel, you're just like a Trump stormtrooper. I, I believed in things long before Trump. The world was created, the world existed long before him. I primaried Mitch McConnell. I recruited the man who ran against him. I mean, there were people who did it locally in Kentucky, Tea Parties. I was the first national figure to endorse against him. 
in 2014. And I worked primaries in 08, 2010, 2012, 2014. And we tried and we tried and we tried every which way. They lied in the primaries. They would say they're the conservatives and our guys were the liberals. They would dehumanize them. You know the Trump treatment at the hands of the general media? We had that in primaries at the hands of Republicans. They stole an election in Mississippi in the runoff with Chris McDaniel against Thad Cochran. I try to avoid this. I try to build a smart, principled, conservative party. People that were God-fearing people. They didn't have Trump's baggage of belittling people's appearances or things like that. All the excuses that we hear from the phony Republicans and the political elite of how toxic Trump supposedly is, yet when we would have the most morally principled conservative candidates, they would treat them just as badly as Trump. And in many ways worse because they knew they were actually really conservative. We tried and we tried and we tried. And I warned that you cannot have a party that is forever at war with its base. But bizarrely, they never rebelled. Then Trump came, co-opted all that energy, and Trump wound up taking all that pent-up energy from 30 years, embodying it in himself, and now Republicans are trying to blow up Trump, but what they're going to do in the process is blow up 30 years' worth of that pent-up energy, and they're finally going to blow themselves up. And hopefully, finally, 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 we can get rid of all these Republicans. My only fear is that not enough of them are going to vote for him. In other, in other words, like, they only need 17 Republicans to convict. If Manchin wants to make pretend they need 18, there's a lot more than 18 of the 50 Republicans that need to go. My concern is especially the ones that are up for re-election will play this double game that they always do and not tell us who they are, and vote not to convict, and our people will just take a no vote as as being a hero, when really they're a bunch of dogs. Ironically, maybe this won't even do the surgery. I hope it does. I want every Republican that really wants to get rid of Trump to do so. And that would be almost a 100-0 vote, with the exception of a few people. Before you have peace, you need truth. That is the verse in Zechariah 6.18. To love truth and peace. We couldn't have peace all these years because we didn't have truth. We were living a lie. I've known the Republican Party was a problem. You know, in the Bush years, I thought it was like a couple of Republicans. And then I started to realize in 06, 08, it finally dawned on me. We nominated John McCain and Mitt Romney. I mean, it would be the equivalent of Democrats today nominating like a Zell Miller or something. Or like a, I don't know, a Southern Democrat from the 80s, 70s. They don't exist, but I'm saying, you know, if they did, that would be the equivalent. We can't go on like this. We have to stop living that lie. And I think this impeachment might finally give us what we want. Now, we're going to have to be there to pick up the pieces. 
to make sure we have a movement that goes in the right direction, you got to replace it with something proper. But it, it was like, for so many years, we needed a machine gun to fight back. And no, I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about metaphorically. And we had, we were holding a feather. We waved a feather at the left. Here's the feather. And we couldn't let go of it. Maybe let's call it a club. We're fighting a gunfight with a club. Well, we knew we couldn't really do it, but I don't want to put down the club to try to get something else because I'm putting down something that I feel I have. I can't let go of the GOP. But the problem is we didn't realize it wasn't a club. It was a gun that we had in our hand. Except it was a gun that malfunctioned and the bullet went backwards and went into us. So it was always better to put it down and we just never realized it. That's my take on impeachment. Let's get to our guests to talk a little bit more about this. So folks, with us today to discuss the actual mechanics of what is going on is Congressman Andy Biggs from the 5th District of Arizona, Chairman of the Freedom Caucus. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Daniel. Good to be with you. Well, it's truly dark times, and a lot of our base, our voters, our listeners are watching with despair, watching as we seem to be disenfranchised, we seem not to have any voice, Um, Not just in this election, but future elections to deal with our grievances, to deal with what went on in your own home state, uh, to deal with any issue, whether it's Corona fascism, freedoms, government overreach, concern of the feds coming in. What is the sentiment among House Republicans? I think a lot of people are surprised to find leadership joining in with this. Now, many of us knew this already. What's the lay of the land and how do you see this playing out? Well, th- thanks for asking the questions. And, and uh, you know, first thing I would say, Daniel, is that uh, back home in my, my state, people are angry, uh, but they're demoralized. And I, I want them to remain engaged and focused. Um, uh, we de- the, the violence here at the Capitol had really sucked a lot of the air out of uh, what we were doing that night and has is, is, uh, demoralized a lot of my colleagues here as well. But the mechanics of what we're doing, uh, I shouldn't say what we're doing, what we're having done to us today is uh, right now, as I'm sitting talking to you, there's a rules debate on the floor. So they're doing a rules package. Now, you have to understand that rules packages usually say whether you, you can allow amendments to a, a process or not and, and how long debate will last, et cetera. The, the rules packages that they did, they did yesterday and today include some pretty bizarre things like, number one, they got rid of the rules of decorum. So they can basically say anything, no matter how libelous or scandalous or scurrilous about the president. Normally that's prohibited, strictly prohibited. This is the first time I've ever seen that, that rule pop off. The second thing is they, they issued a, a, to exert control over uh, us, they've put a mask mandate with a fine in it. So if you don't wear your mask on the floor, it's a $500 fine. Um, you have to pay out of your own pocket uh, the first time and then 2500 bucks the second time. And then the third thing is to further gain control over members. They want uh, to do something we've never done before, and they, they want us to go through uh, uh, to, to make sure we're not carrying weapons or 
or anything on the floor. These these are outrageous. But but so we're so we're doing that. That's what the rules debate's going on now, and they're trying to justify what they're doing, and um, that will last probably another. I think it's another hour or so of that that debate. Then we'll come and we'll vote on the rule, and the Democrats have the majority, so the rule will pass, and the, and that allows them to go forward with impeachment. And the rumor is that they're going to uh, do maybe three or four hours of debate on impeached on, on whether President Trump should be impeached. It's even evenly divided. And then we'll have a vote on the impeachment. Um, and then it'll be transmitted just as soon as they can get it ready over to the Senate for the Senate to decide what they want to do. And rumors are, are flying that Mitch McConnell uh, wants to go ahead with impeachment. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm, I'm reached. I'm, I'm in the process of reaching out to some of my Senate colleagues to find out if that's true. But the, the bottom line, Daniel, is they're they're forcing this through in like no other impeachment uh, process in the history of this country. Normally, you have two you have two steps. You have a resolution passed, then you have a committee that that gets together and investigates, and there's lots of hearing and and et cetera, and then you have another. Uh, debates, a series of debates before you actually have the impeachment vote. They're not doing that now. They're just putting pedal to the metal because they hate Donald Trump. They hate his policies. They hate uh, the people who support him. And by the way, they're not just going after Donald Trump. They're going after any of us who support Trump in Congress. They want to censure us, expel us, uh, censor us. Uh, They want to um, make sure we don't get donations from from, uh, donors uh, and so they are really uh, trying to erase Donald Trump. And that's actually a bill, by the way, that that prevents any place anywhere in the country from naming anything after President Trump, if you can believe that. So when you look at the landscape right now, um, in my mind, there clearly are enough Republicans who want to remove Trump. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I'm sure, you know, I've heard maybe there's about a dozen in the House, not that the Democrats need it because it's a simple majority. But as we know, deep down, there's really even more. The question is, are they more scared of the voters or do they hate Trump more than they fear their voters? Uh, but you look at the Senate, it's I think it's very clear there's easily 67 votes if they if if they fear. The question is, a lot of these Republicans are up this time. So how much they fear their base? How do you see this playing out? Well, the rumor is that uh, I heard late last night is that there were 20 Republicans that McConnell felt were going to vote for impeachment, uh, conviction, I should say, vote for conviction on the impeachment. And um, I don't know if that's true. That's why I'm trying to find out and get that get that out. I mean, that was a rumor that was running rampant here, but that could have been floated by my Democrat colleagues here um, just to try to demoralize and tamp down our opposition uh, in the House. I mean, the opposition in the House is pretty solid. I, uh, you know, you had 141 people vote for uh, last week on on joining the objection of the electors in Pennsylvania, 125 or so uh, on the Arizona electors. So that's the majority of Republicans. The problem in the House, of course, is we're in the minority, so we don't get it. But in the Senate, you're right. They have to get two-thirds. They have to get to 67 votes. And the rumor is they have got uh, 70. 70, and you, you know who wow. some of the Yeah, the, you, you know how it is. I mean, you hear about the usual uh, uh, suspects, you know, Romney, Collins, Murkowski, 
Um, I think Sass has indicated he thinks he should be removed and some others, but, but, uh, until, until last night, I think most of us in the house thought, well, there's, they have little chance of getting there, but I, I, I keep saying this, Daniel, I think it's important. Um, these people, uh, who want to cut off the head of the beast, they, they want to attack Donald Trump because he is the, the leader of the movement. They think that by so doing that they will, uh, they will. Uh, basically eradicate the country of that movement that drained the swamp <laughs> and moving back to America first. I think they're entirely wrong. I think yep. that they're, they're overplaying their hand. I think they're pouring gas on the fire. I said that in my speech last night. I said, you know, if you, if you really want to, uh, and, and, and you know what, the, the part that I find absolutely disingenuous is last night, um, somebody said something similar. And then this morning in this morning's debate, um, the guy leading the debate for the Democrats actually said this. He said, I can, and I'm quoting here where I, I, as, as close as I could to write down as he's speaking. He said, I can't think of anything that would be more unifying to our country than impeachment of this president. That's, yeah. that, that's what I actually, he, that's I actually what he agree said. with that. I actually think it might be unifying in a way that uh, I, I said already, the devilish side of me does want Trump to be removed because to me, I think we've had this problem for 30 years since 1989, where we've had a fake Republican Party that really didn't represent us. But it wasn't so noticeable because things moved very incrementally. But in the last 10 years and accelerating the last number of years, the Democrats have become so radical. So the lack of a real opposition or alternative party has become much more evident. But still, it was kind of subtle. We can never get primary challenges. We'd never win. These guys would keep winning even though they were out of sync with the base. And I think this would yeah. finally do it and finally force the surgery that really needs to be done. My question to you is this. Is there a point where the House members, House Republicans just walk out? If, you're, if, you're, if our rights are being violated as, as human beings – our views are being criminalized now, and I'm very, I'm very disturbed by what I'm seeing from the FBI, the asymmetry based on what they've done. Mm-hmm. Certainly, if anyone beat up a cop or something, you know, we're for locking that guy up longer than the left is, and we're consistent about that. But, but the wide net that they appear to be casting that is jarringly asymmetrical to what has been done this entire past year with political violence that is, you know. You know, like they say, there's a tweet for everything. Well, there's an example for everything they're doing. It was overlooked. 60 Secret Service members were were injured with the attack on the White House. I don't know of anyone serving jail time now for that. Um, That and, and again, it's not about, oh, well, they did it. So I want to be able to beat people up, too, and get away with it. No, it's a matter of if they you see if let's say we we turn into Singapore congressman we turn into singapore where we're just really really tough you know we it might be a little bit authoritarian and maybe it's overboard for american values but at least you know it's coming from a place where they're concerned about security they're concerned about justice they really really don't want violence and they're going to go and clamp down on anything that even they think could lead to it but when you have them glorifying it the most ubiquitous violence in our entire nation's history um, and then and then they clamp down like Singapore here. You know, it's not coming from that. It's coming from a degree of persecution. Then I see the metal detectors against you guys. Then I see your faces are muzzled, which in my view constitutes a constraint on a member, which really 
does violate Article One, Section Six. Uh, you know, members are, sh- should be able to speak freely, move freely. Um, at what point do you guys just walk out and say, you know what? Let the American people see that this is an oligarchy and just walk out. Maybe hold your own hearings elsewhere as a shadow and just let them do what they want. Well, you know, Daniel, we we've actually kicked that around, and talked to, about it. It's 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 a tough decision to make because our our urge, as you might guess, is to debate and fight and take it, uh, you know, bring the case to the American people and and walking out. If, if we had more friends in the media, it, a, a demonstration like that might work. But I mean, we kick, we've kicked this around back and forth. I mean, how do you how do you uh, let people understand that that by walking off the floor, you're making a, a dramatic a statement against the tyranny of Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats? Uh, you hold uh, your you own Congress. You you have you have cameras and you and you, you go through the issues that the American people care about. My point is, if your mouths are muzzled and you're not, I yeah. mean, literally, like the point is, it's not just. Oh, we want to be able to beat down the doors of the Capitol. None of us want to do that. They're criminalizing just the debate. Um, it's like so. So I guess uh, changing laws mid-election and ma- ma- uh, mail-in ballots are no longer a problem. I guess I guess that's no longer a problem. It's like you know. Right. I, well, look. So yeah. we. So we have we as Freedom Caucus. We have actually had this past summer. We did everything we could to. Uh, uh, we did probably a half a dozen or so. Uh, maybe not that many. Maybe four. We did um, off-site hearings because the Democrats were not um, really holding hearings. So we had hearings. We brought in witnesses. We tried to publicize that as much as we could, and we just couldn't get the traction because the media uh, uh, basically kills that. They kill that. And uh, and we were trying to, to get that message out, you know, on whether it be uh, uh, the COVID tyranny or whatever it may be. Sure. And um, it, 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 and then I'm, I'm not I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's the reality that goes into the the uh, the calculus of, of how we do this. But I, th- I think that was the Freedom Caucus and nothing personal. But this needs to be done by McCarthy. Um, <laughs> oh, well, well, no, no, well, no, no. Okay, no what well. I mean is, you know, done by McCarthy where it's done by the whole conference. And, you know, McCarthy seems to be saying he's putting you know, he seems to try to separate himself from McConnell. Well, I think now's the time for him to be a leader and show that he's going to stand for his people. No, I agree with that. Um, I think sometimes, I think sometimes our leadership gets a little too cute, and <laughs> and we have to we have to get out there and look. We're 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 fighting. Our number three person is out there saying she's going to. A vote for impeachment that that Donald Trump betrayed his office more than any person in the history of this country, any other president. How is she the conference uh, chair? Could you explain that to the audience? She's the conference chairwoman. She runs the conference, number three position. How does that happen? It it happens because um, hypersensitivity. Uh, you know, she's. Uh, uh, she's a woman. She was. She was. She ascended there to there um, to replace a, a woman. They they would like to have a woman there because uh, you know we want to show that we're egalitarian, and 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 
and the fact that she is repeatedly ripped uh, into Trump and undermined what we what the majority of the conference wants to do did not uh, propel anybody to to effectively effectively be able to challenge her. And so that's that's how that happens. Are you concerned about? And, and by the way, let sure. me just tell you, she is she is qualified. She is a very qualified individual. She, in every way, except for on on uh, on policy and reflecting the majority of the conference. Yeah, well, I mean that that's what you would think because I, I what what I'm gathering from you, and I don't know how much solace this is going to be to my listeners. Um, because this has gotten so bad so quickly, and this needed to be done years ago. But it does seem yeah. like the House conference has gotten better and is more reflective of the people. No, I, I would agree with that. Uh, the, we we are uh, we are in fact more conservative today than we were um, four years ago or two years ago in the conference. Um, but I don't think the leadership has kept its finger on the pulse and the, the <laughs> people who prefer status quo ante, the uniparty that we still have those folks and we still have people who, who um, actually um, don't understand uh, politics. I mean, it's just amazing to, to me, quite frankly, because there are people who simply don't understand uh, politics and how it works. And they're in the, in the most political body in, in the universe. All right, Congressman, I'm going to put you on the spot with one final question, but I think you could handle it. So let's say they okay, do they do impeach and, and remove the president. Um, let's just say they do that. Would now be the best time ever for a Freedom Party? Oh, <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I'm going to tell you uh, uh, no, and I'll tell you why. The vast majority of the Republican Party uh, the base, anyway, they uh, they support the policies that President Trump uh, created um, and and uh, supported. They support that. It is it is still the most. I mean, we have we have a um, you know believe me, and I have thought about this multiple times. Uh, we have uh, an infrastructure in place. We just have got to make sure that. And and you take a look at the the state races and, and the congressional races. We did pretty well. We did very well. We just have got to make sure that that we can keep that infrastructure in place, and that the 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 angry demoralized base doesn't disengage. We need the state legislatures to clean up the election integrity issues that we had. And if that happens, we will be back stronger in a conservative Republican movement. A freedom, a Republican movement, uh, like we, like we all hope we do, like you and your listeners, like I want, and I believe that we can get. I mean, I, I, I hope so. The problem is, for so long we were the majority. We always were the majority, but the leadership, wherever it is, the donors, the leaders, they always seem to control things. And you know, even even at a state legislative level, where you think is closer to the people, I think you're right. There's a growing number that do reflect our values in the legislatures, but almost every one of them, those in leadership, they won't bring our stuff to the floor. They won't message it. Um, they, they just don't think like we do. One of the things I'm looking to do, and I hope you guys could help spearhead at a federal level, is some sort of declaration of rights. 
And originally it was aimed at the COVID stuff just to remind people that the Constitution still applies. But I think we also need to apply it to the First Amendment with the New York Times now questioning the prudence of the First Amendment openly, whether it should exist. And, um, you know, and I'm just very concerned with the FBI and, and the feds, what they're starting to do. Oh, me too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm okay with if someone breaks glass, if our standard is you're going to lock up anyone for 10, 20 years for breaking glass, fine. I mean, just know you'll probably have to have a million people in jail if we apply that evenly. But what I'm concerned about, it's almost like they're criminalizing being at a place. You have a podium, you sing the national anthem, and a couple people sadly get violent. And, and just being there, none of us have ever advocated that with BLM, that people that weren't caught breaking a law – should be hunted down and put on no fly list. I mean, I don't think anyone who burnt down the police station and the, you know, the federal courthouses that they attacked were put on no fly list before an indictment or even after an indictment. That asymmetry I find very disturbing. Uh, You're absolutely right. And um, we're going to have to address that. There's so many, there's so many things because Daniel, you mentioned this earlier. This is, and I, 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 I agree in part and don't and disagree in part. This has happened so quickly. So I would say this, the manifestation of this has happened so quickly, but this has been, uh, this has been trending this way for, for 30 years. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's manifested itself. And I believe that it happened because the, the left felt that they could just gradually keep moving over and take over uh, from internally in a slow, uh, steady, incremental path. But uh, but when Donald Trump came to came to the presidency, he d- was the great disruptor. He was the great disruptor, and he and he scared the bejeebies out of the, out of the left and uh, the the uh, the people who facilitate the left, both corporately. Uh, in the media and even in the uniparty in Washington, D.C., they said, you know, we like the status quo. That's where our power and money is. And Donald Trump disrupted that. And and um, so now uh, they responded by accelerating uh, and pulling out all the stops and going by their mantra of the, the ends justify the means. And that's that's where we are today. And um Pulling out the stops. Let me let me rephrase this. You have to. We have to remain unified in the cause. And there's so many people that want to splinter off and do all kinds of things. Um, and not the least of which, some people want to to uh, come here and and be violent, and that that undermines the cause instead of helps the cause. Well, Congressman, we're certainly going to look to you, you know, in the coming days, there's there's about 15, by my count, about 15 Republican senators from red states, most of them very red states, that are up for reelection this cycle, that in my view, do not deserve to be renominated. Maybe in the Democrat Party, they could be renominated. There's about 15 of them, you should go look up that list. and, And I think that's where the Freedom Caucus and others really need to lead on. Um, we really need this to finally be the time where we replace them, not just one a cycle or zero per cycle, which is usually the case, but we need 10, 15 of them to really shake things up if we're not going to start a new party. Um, because I think you'd agree what we're doing now certainly is not changing it. And there needs to be some sort of shock to the system. Right. We are going to keep working. Uh, you know, 
I'll keep working from my end. I know you're going to keep working from your end, and but we've got to stay coalesced. We can't we can't splinter or fracture, um, and and I see a lot of that happening. Yep, it's going to take leadership. I mean, that's the thing. Absent leadership, that's right. people tend to scatter. Um, but go that's get them. Right. Go give them hell today, Congressman, and report back to us. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much. God bless. So, folks, that was Congressman Andy Biggs, the chairman of the Freedom Caucus. And, and look, you know, p- part of what I do when I have guests, they almost always agree with me. Um, and I really only have guests that are in sync with our values because what's the point in giving the other side airtime? But sometimes I'll have different people that have different strategies. And and that's the thing. So you hear the other side of the argument for starting a new party. Um, he feels that it's better to just stay united within the Republican Party. And like I said, in my mind, the two go together. I mean, you fight everything you have. So right now, there is no other ballot line, and you probably couldn't get it up for an election next time quickly enough. It's such a long-term project, given the prohibitive uh, thresholds for petitions to get on the ballot in a state. But my issue is, treat yourself as another party and understand it is primary all these guys have no allegiance to it and and done now i've said this before to me the only argument at this point against a formally calling something a new party is that the department of justice will just ban it as a terrorist organization now so until we have enough clout to fight back against this it's better to gum up the republican party because they sure as heck are not going to ban that because they need the Republican Party because it's the ultimate false flag operation to achieve what they want. We are about out of time. Got to run. Again, folks, you could follow me uh, on Rumble. We're going to put out more videos. Harwood Citizen Sanctuary uh, on Rumble. Harwood Citizen Sanctuary on Facebook. Miniman Speak Easy is the private page on on Facebook. I'm still at RM Conservative on Twitter, but that's likely going to change soon. So I started a Gab account, Daniel underscore Horowitz, and Clout Hub is DE Horowitz. So that's where you could find me. And in the coming days, we're going to have to get that up. New Frontiers. And I think that's going to be the theme this year. It's very dark. But you know what? From that dark darkness... We're going to build up a lot of light, God willing. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.